0: Hello, and welcome to the heartbeat of the dance floor. Today, I welcome the lovely Miss Christina Viska to our show. Christina is probably best known as one of the creators of the original sound factory here in New York City. Our friendship goes way back to the early 80s though, with my career transitioning into being exclusively in lighting, while Christina was establishing herself as a hostess and front door personality to many of the special party nights at major clubs in the city, like Studio 54 and the Palladium. In 1988, Christina became one of the creators and founders of the original sound factory on West 27th Street in New York City. Over the years, she has made a name for herself as one of New York City's premier party impresarios, creating such memorable event series like Trippin' on the Moon, and most recently her birdcage parties at The Standard in Greenwich Village. It is with great pleasure that I have as my guest, my dear friend, is Christina Visca. Christina, welcome to the heartbeat of the dance floor. Ms. Marcia Stern, thank you.
1: I'm so excited you, uh, you're having me on your show.
0: Oh yeah, it's a delight. You've got such a great, rich history in our club industry. And for those that aren't New Yorkers and aren't familiar with you, um, please tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, some of the things that you've done over the years, your beginnings, et
1: cetera. Gee, uh, I think we need a five part series, but I'll try to keep it brief as possible. Um, You know, I never planned to get into the nightclub business. It was uh, an interesting, and I'd like to call it organic. Um, You know, I was a student at FIT and before FIT, I was going out a little bit, but FIT really got me. And you know, I called Studio Fifty Four and Xenon our campus parties. You know, they were actually very smart with marketing. They used to invite FIT students on Thursdays for free. So when patrons came in, they had kind of a cl- uh, club filled with fashionable young kids. Pretty smart marketing. Very clever. And just, right? And just on my own, I kind of have always been friendly and gregarious with everyone. And, you know, within a couple of weeks, I was best friends with the door person and the security <laughs> guards. And in fact, Chuck Gerlich, who we're still friends with today, right? Uh, yeah, dear so friend. It, it was just sort of a natural progression for me. And it really took off. I like to, I'm, I'm a Peter Gatian discovery. In 1983, when he opened Limelight, I used to go and just knowing a couple of the people there, you know, those were the early eighties, you'd get out of the cab they'd call your name the you know the crowd would part calling you know. so it was so much fun for me and peter noticed me and he said you know i think you need to give parties in my club and you know how do you turn that down at 19 years old no you do not and i started giving parties in the uh, in the library at the Limelight.
0: And the Limelight was a really hot club back then. It was across oh, yeah. the street from the Danceteria. It had a lot of crisscross traffic. It was really one of the cultural hubbubs in the early
1: eighties. It did. And it was, the library there was really, I mean, you know, the word VIP is kind of thrown around, but I mean, you know, on a nightly basis was, you know, built. I mean, like, even like, I don't want to say older, cause I really don't look at age, but I mean, you had people like, Liberace, Shirley MacLaine, Billy Idol, Michael Douglas—like real, you know, not club celebrities, if you will. Sure. Uh, so that was like a really nice place for me to get my start, and just from there, it kind of snowballed on. I was asked to do the door at some major clubs. I I worked at the Palladium under uh, Steve Rubellini and Schrager. I worked you at Stanley Can- Burke,
0: right?
1: And I worked with Stanley Burke, right? I did you the game night. I worked on other nights, but the main night for me was uh, Stephen Cohen's gay night with Stanley Burke. And, you know, yeah. I, look, I look at Sunday night parties now and I am probably 5,000 people every Sunday night. I mean, it was pretty major.
0: Yeah, it was, and our friend, to repeat the name, Chuck Ehrlich, also head of security right. at the, of and ran the door
1: crew at uh, Palladium. And all these people I've kept in touch with throughout the years, which is really amazing. I went to 1018 under Gene Danino. I ran that door for a couple of years. Uh, and then I worked at Studio 54 in the, in the latter years. Um, and I went to all the, you know, it was the 80s. So, you know, you re- I was out probably six nights a week at all different sorts of clubs uh, from Dan area. I even was at the Devil's Nest up in the Bronx, Club A, I mean, you, know, you name it. If there was a good, and that's what was so beautiful. I'm kind of segueing is that, you know you could go out every night and it was a bit different And I really felt at home. I was felt at home and accepted everywhere. But I would say the two, yeah, the two clubs that that made the most impact on me, you know, were the Saints and the Paradise Garage, uh, which were membership only clubs, very kind of polar opposites. You know, the Saint was predominantly white male. I mean, both were gay. You were, you were my. Guest,
0: permanent guest, and 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 the second season sponsored your membership to the Saint. Oh, your great. fault! Harsh, I always it's, say. Well, it's partially my fault. I'm not going to take all the blame. <laughs> and and the Paradise Garage also was a, a, a membership club, but it was interesting because it right. had a predominantly gay crowd on one night and a predominantly straight crowd on another night. But the but o- right. the overlap was. And of all three places you mentioned, um, the overlap was that people went for the experience, the musical journey, sometimes the lighting that accompanied it, um, and your friendship and your core of people, your tribe. And you went for that feeling um, that each club gave. And while both the Saint and Paradise Garage were uber successful and the predominant private clubs of... 1982 1983 absolutely right um, each what they, they were night and day I mean I like to say they both had the my true definition of what a heartbeat is but they were so different
1: at the same time they were so right. the same and I have to say I was one of the few people that would go back and forth to both you know some people were like oh you go to the saint too or you go to I the yeah, yeah, we, yeah we did the same thing. I but did
0: too.
1: Sometimes know. on the same night. I know. <laughs> but, you know. It was really that they closed. I mean, they were two probably the two best nightclubs in the world, really. Let's be frank here, right? At that moment in time, and those two clubs closed unfortunately within a year of one another. And yes. it left, it left a big void. Uh, so how I kind of stepped in is when the Paradise Garage closed, uh, and most people were kind of, you know, sitting around, boo-hoo, what are we going to do? The garage is closed. I kind of took action. I, I knew I wanted to continue. And I want to give
0: our listeners a timeline. We're talking 87-ish,
1: 87.
0: 88,
1: yes? September, 87. September okay. of 87. So okay. The, just- the next week, I had a, I had a party planned. So I didn't, I didn't sit idle. I was like, hey, come to my party, come to my party. And to much uh, surprise, I shouldn't say surprise, it was an overwhelming success. It was in a little club called Black Market. I called the party the space. And uh, it took off like wildfire. And it's there that I, not that I met Junior Vasquez, but where he first played for me. I knew that he was an aspiring DJ. I had heard him at. uh, He played for Keith. My, the place I learned about his DJing skills. He played for Keith Haring at the opening of um, the Carmine Street Pool when he painted the mural. Okay, yeah. Said, "Oh, I didn't know you. You know, I knew he was an aspiring DJ, but he was really good. So he had asked me if I he could play for me. I mean, sure, why not? I'll give you a chance. And he just blew me and everybody away. Well, I and, remember your space parties. Yeah, and from that moment on, we became partners, and we quickly outgrew that space, and then we went to open Baseline, which was on 21 Hudson Street in Tribeca, another mega hit. I mean, yeah. literally, we had to close in about, I think Baseline was less than a year. I mean, we had lines around the corner, and were pretty much shut down for overcrowding. I mean, we had like, major show. I mean, I even had, like, imagination perform there in the basement. It was incredible. So we kept out growing spaces, and ultimately, um, we opened up Sound Factory. You know, we found the space, created it, uh, named it, the whole nine yards. So that was really the pinnacle and the culmination of my years. Coming up in the ranks, if you will, in the nightclub business, and-, and to
0: give to give our listeners a little perspective here, we're talking from uh, an intimate space that housed a few hundred people to a warehouse type space oh, that housed right. probably was a about- thousand or more. It was quite. Right. And it was um, substantial space, like the Paradise Garage was substantial
1: space. right. It was about 12,000 square feet. And, you know, it grew. It wasn't, you know, we had, um, in the old way, what we used to do, you know, you do construction parties, invite people along the way, have a soft opening. But I have to say the opening, you know, our soft openings were just that. It was friends and family. And that nightclub built, you know, little by little, it was. Um, it grew, and that's yeah. that's a little bit of the difference about nightclubs today. Also, you know, there's a million investors; they're all about numbers and money. And there is sustainability in building something for longevity, and that's what we did.
0: So, would you say then part of your mission, if you will, when you not only created Sound Factory, but all of your endeavors leading up to it and your parties? that you produce and host since, would you say that that's more to create, um, how do I phrase this? To do it at more of an altruistic matter, to create a heartbeat, to create an interaction, something that you're giving the community as opposed to something that's tangible that is only there to give to you?
1: Well, it's funny you bring that up because I never got into this business to make a career out of it or to make money. I mean, to this day, you know, it's okay, really like totally, yeah. I keep using the word organic. It's just what I did kept snowballing. And all along until I opened up Baseline, I was in the retail. You know, I was a manager of Bergdorf Goodman. I worked at Barney's. I worked in the Carmen Center. And yeah, I did a lot of things in the fashion world before and up until Baseline, I was working both jobs. Yeah, when well, we it, first met,
0: yeah, uh, uh, way back in the day, and I do remember you were in retail, and then also um, when you got into real estate as well, which is your right. current quote unquote profession, which you've been doing for over twenty
1: years. So real estate, like I got into after Sound Factory, but it was um, yeah. So the money, you know, the money came along with it which was great but it was never the intention like business people today i want to open a club and make all this money i I, i'll tell you i created when the garage closed and then later on the saint i created a place where i wanted to go i'm a patron myself Mm -hmm. and again i'm not this business guy or corporation wanting to i knew what i wanted the sound to be i knew what i wanted the bathrooms to be like I knew I didn't want a glitzy club. I wanted good sound and great people. I didn't want them, you know, so I created what I wanted. And, you know, the old saying, build it and they will come. So I basically fashioned it under something that I would love to go to. I, I, I fashioned it after the saint in the garage for the membership. Um, and I think the biggest, the biggest thing you take away from that is community. Yes. I know and, this is and, the, the name of your show is Heartbeat of the Dance Floor. And I really think that's the heartbeat of the dance floor in my opinion, you know. I think you're right. There's I, a lot of definitions of heartbeat. There is the technical one of, it's a pulsation of your heart, but it also means in a split second, in a flash. And there's those heartbeat moments that's, I could think back and still give me goosebumps. But I think in an overall heartbeat, I think it's the community that I've created and others before me have created. And I
0: think so. I would agree with you a hundred thousand um, percent. Interesting. Um, I was speaking with David DePino, who you know from Paradise Garage, and also David. DJ, and also was a DJ at Sound Factory, various incarnations of it. Sure. Um, and and uh, he actually said very similar and he put his finger on community as well. And that is, I think, one of the similarities, you speak of The Saint and and The Garage and Sound Factory, and and today I don't know if there are clubs and, and venues that are being built to house the community. Back then it was made with the community in mind. You used the resources
1: that you had at hand and you did it for the greater good. Correct. And you know, um, you needed you needed community because there was no social media. You know, you had a mailing list and you know, I opened up Sound Factory on my on my black book, you know. Yeah. I mean
0: also add Michael Fesco to that list. Of course. Even though he himself didn't own a club, he set standards. He created uh, you know, at Flamingo uh, just an iconic precursor to the Saint. Right. And 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 then a series of incredible events and parties, and they live on today with his CTs that are being run by his uh, partner. I think Doug was his partner when. All, sadly, we, we lost Michael. Go, which sadly, you and I we lost go, Michael a couple of years today. ago. And uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah it, it it's um, it's kind of interesting and, how and and when, and when with
1: the, with the, the membership, party. you know, even with the membership, there's a sense of belonging you know, with your membership and and meeting the owner. And, you know, you had to be, you know, you had to speak to me or Junior or whatever to get your membership. So we knew everyone, it was really a community feeling. And, you know, I take it for granted back then the crowd that we had and even at the garage, you know, black, Spanish, gay, a lot of trans drag queens, you know, it everything
0: it very, uh, all across the board and it was all a completely equal playing ground and footing we were all there for the same reason it was artistic right. it was
1: artistic freedom it was combined with art and fashion but it also gave these people a home every Sunday where they felt safe they could be themselves and there were a lot of clubs like that but you know like I said the garage and sound factory really gave them their homes like that. And I, I'm, i you know, proud to say Sound Factory was the paradise garage for the next generation. It was. In A- fact, uh, you know,
0: since it was so close to the 90s, it really did live through the 90s. And it was that next decade's version. Sure. And, and I don't know if there are any clubs in New York City that exist today like what we knew. I think that Sound Factory may have been the last of that generation that started in the late 60s, early 70s with the sanctuary. Correct. And with places yeah. like like Nikki's Gallery, et cetera. Right. Um, and I, and I, I, I don't know, I guess that's my job as a nightlife historian to figure out, but I do <laughs> believe that Sound Factory was the last of it the is. large.
1: You know, I, I, I always tell people, cause you know, we all put our own money into it back then. And uh, it's a different game today. But I always laugh and say, imagine if I wanted to, listen, you can never recreate it. It's a different time and place. But imagine if I was to go to an investor today and say, hey, you know, I want to open up a 10,000, 12,000 square foot club, only going to be open two nights a week and no alcohol. they would laugh you out the door. (laughs) Could you imagine? They'd be like, oh, this chick's crazy.
0: But you know- and and it's going to cost you ten million dollars for me to build it, what? which back then was pretty much the equivalent of I guess what Bruce spent to build the Saint. Correct.
1: Well, you know, and you, you know, have so go for inflation, I think. You know, people you know, for- would laugh at that today, but look at the longevity that it had, and it's you know, it, it set a new bar, um, and it's you know, I hate you know the word legendary is thrown around, but it is. And we, built, yeah, and, and we, and it created
0: a culture which you're right. It has sustained itself. It has permeated. It has evolved. It moved on to Saint at Large parties. Right. I think a lot of the big circuit parties of the early 2000s and late 1990s sprouted from the Saint at Large parties of the sure. late 80s and early 90s. That I
1: mean, probably one of the last clubs that had you know we spoke you know a residence and you know a Facebook. I mean. You know, back in the day, you know, Rudolph was, you know, Dan Peter was Limelight, I was yeah. Sound Factory, and, you know, there was not many, there's no more residents, there's no more DJs playing weekly, no one taking chances. Some some people do play monthly, and there's a few parties where I shouldn't say that where DJs do play weekly at their parties but in a big room Saturday night kind of setting. And I miss that too, you well, know, the I miss-
0: residency. Well, yeah. you know, at least with your parties, you've taken up the slack because I know as a participant, it's given me, my friends, my tribe, it's given us a place to go to recreate that feeling that we had when we all danced at the Saint or at the garage or, or at Sound Factory or out on Fire Island or whatever. And you, rather than have one permanent venue, you've taken it to a new level in that you bring the party with you wherever it goes. There may be multiple venues with the same theme, I think offhand of the Trippin' on the Mood parties. You know, uh, Birdcage had a home to my knowledge and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Birdcage's home has been at the Standard for a few years
1: now. Yeah, almost three years, right. Well, the, you know, then COVID. And, and that's yeah. something
0: that, you know, as a New Yorker, you like, okay, I know where I'm going on Sunday night. Right. I know I can count on a Christina Visca party at the Standard, at Birdcage on Sunday night. That's the the plan, if you will.
1: Right. You know, I mean, like, I, I like to create, you know, you hate to go back. It's like a cheers, right? You know, you want to go where... <laughs> everybody knows your name, and they're happy that you came, right? True, very I mean, true. You know, I like to think of my parties that people could come along, that they're going to know everybody there. That's you know, when I used to go out, I people like you going by yourself. I'm like, yeah, I'm meeting a thousand friends there. <laughs> it's like exactly, exactly, yeah. and and I think that that
0: that is the very community that you you refer to, the community that you give to by creating the community that supports you by attending, by sharing. It's that That's interaction so that, right? in my mind, creates the magic of the moment, creates those special heartbeats. Um, I'm going to segue a little bit and ask you if you have any stories you'd like to tell us about perhaps any super special moments that you either witnessed or created, or maybe a little, you know, just a a background story, whether it was a party um, that was at one of your venues or one of the parties that you uh, created yourself. And, you know, just give us a little insight as to how
1: you make magic. There's a lot of them. I mean, one of my, one of my, I mean, obviously I have a ton of them, but one of my favorite stories, and I could tell it now because if, the authorities knew what we did back then right and <laughs> we all came out unscathed but i could tell i could tell the story now um there was a gray law in a gray area in the law back then about staying open after hours you either had a um a liquor license and a cabaret license yeah. and if you had that you had to close at four o'clock while you had to give patrons like a half hour to drink finish their cocktails We did not have alcohol, so we were a dance hall license. But once they caught on to Sound Factory, you know, it was all warehouses over there and the cops, the 10th precinct had a lot of problems, but at four o'clock they started coming into Sound Factory every week and every week I would leave and sit in the cop car and take a ticket, which was then, I'd have to go to court on Monday and it was thrown out. But we learned our attorney, there was, they really couldn't shut us down. We were a cabaret license without alcohol. And yeah. we were a membership only club. Yeah. And it's funny, one of my quotes from years ago is you know, there's no restrictions on when you could play golf. Why are there restrictions when you could dance? Yeah. Right? And it's it's true. So it
0: and, and you're right, it was that little, little narrow area where you weren't breaking the law. Correct right. But you and so you could legally do what you were doing.
1: You just well, but obviously obviously we the were confines. on the radar, you know, the walls were oh. shaking, you know, with the music and the sound system. So when yeah, we but you watched,
0: weren't selling liquor and after four and you didn't have uh, you know, you didn't have a guns. liquor license. Correct, correct. They might not have liked what was going on, but there was nothing they could do about it. That's That's right. funny about you having to take a ticket every week, though. Oh, wait,
1: but this is, I haven't gotten to the good part yet. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. So, so as we would learn that they, you know, they still bothered us. So we would have lookouts or security guards on all four corners. They would radio and say, you know, 5-0 is on the street, cops coming down. We would radio to Junior. We would shut the music off with 2,500 people in the room. We would shut the, the gates, you know, the rolling doors. Security would be outside, though so we will close, you know, saying, hey, what's up? We just closed, 2,500 people quiet, waiting until we got the word that the cops were off the street. Wow. We would get the war, and it was probably it could be it could be five minutes, it could be fifteen minutes. We didn't know, not a peep. And the minute they left the block, we would get the signal, and boom, the music went on. I mean, wow. Wow. really, pretty incredible. That's how yeah, dedicated yeah, really. the crowd was to it, too. But could you imagine everyone just sitting on the dance floor, like the music stops? in the yeah. middle of that drama at four o'clock in the morning. And then it would go back on and they
0: never came back pick up, <laughs> that pick up night. Like it, pick up like it left off. Yeah. Right.
1: So Unbelievable. That's, uh, that's a great that's really story. A, a highlight memory that I tell most people. It's just, it's incredible.
0: And, and what a devoted community that you had and wow. that Junior had. I mean, again, very few houses where you had that kind of a resident DJ Correct. who had his interaction with his peeps, Four. as it
1: were, it and was he, like a pied he, piper. He, and he, com- you know, he commanded the dance for anything he said, you did know. whatever. I mean, you know, that was his house. It was his
0: house? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Though I've, our house, right? Well, yes, indeed. You, you know, know what I
1: mean. mean? He commanded as as the DJ. I mean, it was pretty amazing.
0: He was the figurehead, if you will. What? If You know, he was the one that gave us our musical journey that night. And as someone who has made a wonderful career out of doing lighting, I can tell you we've always taken second billing to the DJ anyway.
1: Of course. Well, you know, but it's what's, uh, you know, it's all, uh, it it takes a village.
0: It It takes a village.
1: a A lot of times the DJs, which they should, I mean, they're the driving force of the evening, but well, you know, as
0: they say, nobody ever left a Broadway show humming the light cues and the same thing is the same on the dance floor. So I've never had a problem with doing the lights to someone else's music. In fact, I think that if you are chosen to work with a DJ who's Providing a musical journey, such as one that is in a private club like a sound factory, um, or like a saint, um, or any dance floor that commands that type of a feel, you know, you've got a huge responsibility to enhance, of course. journey, not create your own. It's
1: not about what I can do with the lights, it's about your lights, you're, 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 enhan- you're a part of the show and enhancing his selections and whatnot, right?
0: Yeah, and you know, not for nothing, when you've got a good communication, you've got a good interaction, almost like you, you're you both on the same wavelength, you're both in the zone, you get to another level. Of course. Another one of those components of how there are varieties of heartbeats that are out there, and various levels of heartbeats. The The intensity, certainly, if you wow. have sound and lights working in tandem, with a great crowd and great management and a friendly venue, comfortable, ven- safe venue, then you reach the pinnacle of that magical yeah.
1: moment, that perfection. And it's something that I always loved about The Saint was that how they highlighted, you know, people would say, wow, who's doing the lights tonight? It was DJ so-and-so and lights by so-and-so, which yeah. was really the first club. And now they do it now in some places. There's some superstar light guys like, you know, Ariel and and they get they get their props as they should.
0: Yes, but you're right. Back in the 70s and the 80s when there was an invitation that went out or a listing that was shown, it was basically the DJ who was listed. The light person was about as auxiliary as a bartender. That said, there were a lot of bartenders who were the brand of the venue that they worked. A lot of people went to a place on a specific night because that was their watering hole. And that bartender, that, you know, the staff is very important as well.
1: Well, That's why I said it it takes a village to to do a good party and a good nightclub. You can't, you know, and it's the owner's job to curate that. That's what the owner does. Or for, for my instance now, I'm a promoter producer sometimes i walk into a club where they already have their staff but if i can tweak it a little or ask for certain people to work you know like even a door person what i used to do it's, you know the party starts at the door you're right I, you're right the party's a lot of, i think a lot of people forget that and
0: and um you know it's a whole different ball game now
1: and money right. is a whole different the old person is kind of gone everyone's on the line now but you know we we've and we move on and be thankful we had those hard beats right
0: <laughs> oh my lord yes i mean it certainly um it certainly i like to think made me a richer person and and you and hey brought us together as friends that's <laughs> right of course
1: <laughs> Marsha, all I your
0: us, sisters
1: Farmer and Burger Sisters, right.
0: Indeed, indeed.
1: I love it. Indeed. I love that you're so um, involved in the business like me and still love, you know, we still have a passion for being the patron, still going out, uh, which is, you know, and all. Uh, that's another thing, you know, a lot of, I, I hate the word promoter, but I guess that's what some people might call me. I like to call myself a producer of the events, but, you know, there's a lot of promoters that, you could say it's a so-and-so event, but sometimes you're not even at the party or they're in the office or they're sitting in a corner with a bottle with two friends. It's like, I got into this business to like, you know, dance, talk, hang around, chit-chat with people. And uh, so even sometimes that's a little lost these days too. You know, it's just a business.
0: And it's unfortunate because when you see the person who's hosting the event who has extended this, This you know, created, produced this event that you go to and you see them having fun, it can't help but rub off on all of the attendees and make them want to be a part of it more and more because, you know, it, there's a sincerity
1: there, um, Christina. I, I really do. People we'll want to come see you. Oh, it's Christina's party, let's go, go. And like, it's not just um, a business, you know. I'm, I'm a person that wants to entertain everybody and see all the people that come in. Hopefully, you know, I can't spend time with everybody, but I hope, you know, 99.9% of the time I can say, hello, thanks for coming all the, and it means something to people. It's again, building a community.
0: Yes. And you're out there and you're enjoying yourself as much as everyone else who is there having a good time. In fact, as I speak about one of your parties, I'm going to take the liberty of putting up a photograph that when I created this series, this, you know, I was trying to describe what the feeling of Heartbeat of the Dance Floor was. It was a feeling to me of euphoria, of total abandonment, of total joy. And, and as I was trying to describe it to a graphic artist, there was nothing I could come up with except I've got to show you this photograph. And this was a picture that was taken at one of your events, tripping on the Moon events, I forget the year. And in the picture, it centers on our dear, dear, dear friend, DJ Warren Gluck, may he rest in peace. And if you see him with his oh, arms wow. spread on the yeah. dance floor, that wow. is Warren, and to me I that is info. just, that is the epitome of what, is oh, that magic moment, that joy, that is the heartbeat of the
1: dance floor. And I this have goosebumps, what, it, what a great photo, wow. This is one of your parties, darling. Yeah, yeah, I always said, uh, hands and arms up is a good sign, right? Roy and
0: always said that, he said his barometer, Roy Thode, his barometer for if the crowd was enjoying themselves, if the people, the more arms that were in the air the right. Better the night, the the more fun they were having, the more they were enjoying yeah. themselves. And it's true because it's just a natural body expression of of that abandonment. Oh, sure, that yeah. joy, that sheer jubilation.
1: Wow, that's a great photo. Yeah. Nice. It, uh,
0: it's exactly what I thought of when I was trying to put into words what I meant in creating
1: a the series paints and in a thousand in words, the as they say, right? I'm sorry. I said a picture paints a thousand words. Indeed, it does. Indeed, it does.
0: Indeed, indeed. So, Christina, I want to ask you um, to bring us a little bit up to speed on some of the things that have been occupying your world of late. I know Birdcage is your latest endeavor. um, And and if you've got any other wonderful, magical moments and stories, please do. But, you know, bring us up a little bit into the present. Sure. Um, and, or maybe tease us on some things we can look forward to in the future. We always love a good Christina visco <laughs> Thank you.
1: Um, I'll just start post sound factory days after and Junior and I sold out of it. Um, I went on, I went, I found my way back to Peter Gation. I managed USA in the tunnel, to mega clubs, which was an amazing experience for me. And then those two clubs, you know, obviously closed down after, I'm happy to say everything I've done has happened because it's closed or whatever. I've never uh, faded or, you know, gone down with the ship or anything. Everything has always ended on a high note for me, which I'm very grateful for. Sure. Um, and I found my way starting to just give my own parties now because at Sound Factory, you know, I own the club. It was a whole different ball game. And so I think I took a little bit of a you know, short break after that, but in, I, in two years, I've been in the a professional in the nightclub business for 40 years. Can you believe that? No, actually, <laughs> I uh, sometimes 1983, I 1983, like, I gave my yeah. first party. So, yeah, 40 years, it's crazy. And still have a passion for it, I'm, I'm happy to say. But I started doing my own parties. And um, it's happened up until current day. i have I'm kind of known for the Sunday night, tea thing, the tea tea dance hours, although Birdcage is a little later. uh, Some of them were disco tea at Splash, which lasted about two years, which major DJs came in there and did like a disco set. Um, I had Lolita Holloway sing for my birthday there with Melba Moore. I mean, some major, I mean, that was a real heartbeat moment, I'll tell you that. That Yeah, sure. being on stage with Lolita and Melba Moore singing happy birthday to you. I mean, you know, that's major. Um, Indeed. So, you know, I did, did disco tea. Then I did classic tea at the old XL up on 42nd Street. Yep. I, did, I did a party called Sunset Discotheque on the top of Stage 48. I did a party called Tea at Toy at the Gansevoort. The two latter ones also had food involved, which I adore. They were early parties, but at these sort of, restaurant, um, rooftop kind of thing. So you could come from six to 12, but you could also sit and eat, have oh, sushi wow. or, yeah. So, you know, dancing and food, you know, two of our top favorite things, right? So I love kind of <laughs> yeah. combining the food and dancing a little bit. Um, and then most recently, uh, Birdcage at Labanite. I was very honored that they approached me when the person doing Sunday nights, Neil Lailene, um was finished. He'd been there I think 10 years during his party and he was director of Nightlife and just you know wanted to step down. And then as you mentioned over the years I've had two very big sort of as I call them series or one-offs. I did Trippin' on the Moon and a party called Keep on Dancing yep. both odes to my the two favorite clubs that we spoke about. Trippin' mm-hmm. on the Moon was in uh, Remembering the Music of the Saint, and uh, "Keep on Dancing" was uh, in memory of Mel Sharon, who was yes. owner of West End Records and a huge pioneer in the AIDS uh, AIDS activism arena. Uh, also, I did both of those parties for a couple of years. I'm overdue to do both of them.
0: Yes, and and also Mel, a part of the Paradise Garage. In, Correct. That was my, my next thing. Right? with Mike Mike Brody and. Yeah. Yeah, you are overdue to do your I did
1: them both at Santos Playhouse, which closed. That was a great venue. It great was an awesome venue. I really miss it. But yeah, uh, Keep On Dancing was for Mel and faceted toward the Paradise Garage. And all that was all for AIDS. And major DJs came to play for that. And yeah, Robert Owens came to perform from London. I mean you know people really come together for that sort of thing and then the tripping on the moon was off with the Saint DJs
0: yeah but you know Mel was such a beloved person both yeah. in the industry and in the community that you did have such an incredible outpouring yeah i yeah i'd like to see that party
1: return on a personal note yeah no i'm really overdue to do both of them so this is to so speaking about them has prompted me that i really need to do both
0: good good yeah. well i I hope to be able to do lights again in another one. Yeah, you you know. Every one I've done has been an absolute delight so far. You know it. You know it. Indeed, indeed. And, Christina, where can people find you um, these days? I know I've been running a social media banner under the bottom here that has you, I think, on Facebook and Instagram. Yes, are these
1: good? That's correct. My Instagram is just my name with Christina underscore Visca and Christina Visca on Facebook. They're both uh, they're both open accounts.
0: And I assume when we get uh, more info on updated events that that's where you'll be posting them and that's where we can follow you. Absolutely. And I would love to have you back on another visit and hopefully...
1: Um, oh, I would you- love to. I could talk to you for hours. Well, Wait. funny, people, I, you and I speak on the phone often, right? And we're we, you know, like, oh my God, we've been on for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how it is with a friend. Exactly. It's easy. It's very easy.
0: And, and you've been an absolute delight. I'm, I'm, I'm very honored that you shared some of your insight into the heartbeat. You bring a perspective that's a different perspective. You organize, you put together the pieces um, that contribute to the other pieces that need to be put together to make the whole. You know, while you yourself don't create the musical journey, you provide the tools and the space and the mechanism for that That's freedom right. of artistry to flourish. And, you know, um, That's it, it, right. takes, I a it takes a village and some of the, I think most successful venues that I've, parties that I've ever worked, that I've ever worked at. It has not been one component or another. That made it. It was a little bit of everything, and you were part of a family, and that's how you felt, very much part of a family. Yep.
1: We're all artists in our in our own way, right? But especially coming for a DJ, I really feel like they need to just be the artist, walk into the booth and do their thing. A lot of a lot of I know we're almost over, but a lot of DJs, you know, which is great. They're in the business end of it. They're promoters now, and I love it. They have their Uh, They're multifaceted, which is great. But I also think it's nice when a DJ could just be the artist sometimes, you know?
0: Yes, I agree with you. And I think that when the artist is given restraints by the owner or whomever, they're just hurting the possible outcome and positivity that that event could be. You know, um, you have to let it go. You have to let it flow. And sometimes... Um, that flow is not something that's pre-constructed as you have used the word, it's very true, it's organic, it's pure, it happened on its own, it grew, it's organic and that is sometimes the best of all possible worlds. Absolutely.
1: Yep, I agree. I agree.
0: Indeed, indeed, indeed. Well, Christina, it has been an absolute pleasure to find you on your social media sites. I want to have you back. We're also going to have... Everything posted with links on uh, the website, Heartbeat of the Dance Floor, which is now running across the bottom. So there'll be links to all of uh, our podcasts and yours will be up just as soon as I can. I love it. And I'm so
1: proud of you that you're doing this. I couldn't think of a better person.
0: Oh, thank you so very much. That
1: right. really so means easy. a lot. I mean, you're my friend, but you're so easy to talk to and know all the right questions and, you know, Marcia Stern, Nightlife Historian. I love it.
0: What well, a thought. All. Yeah, right? Who would have thought who would have thunk is right? Hey, it has been a delight and thank you. Thank you very, very much, Lovely. I had a ball.
1: Thank you. Me too. Uh, Come
0: back anytime. Well,
1: thank you. Bye-bye, darling. Bye Bye. Bye.